Hey guys, welcome back to Be the Main Character with Bianca. I hope you're having an amazing Friday. I have had a really amazing week. I'm on my second summer Friday of the summer and still loving it. Uh, it's just so amazing to just know that you have Friday, Saturday, Sunday off. It's just a really good feeling. And if you're having summer Fridays too, I hope you're enjoying them as thoroughly as I am. I had a really good week. My grandparents are actually up from North Carolina this week for a wedding. And so I got to see them and I haven't seen them in about a year. So it's just been really fun. I've been over at my parents' house a ton. Last weekend was super cold and rainy in New Hampshire, but it was really nice. We still went up to the lake and it was the most chill weekend I think I've had in I don't even know how long. It was the ideal rainy summer weekend. I mean, it was cold, so maybe not super ideal, but I don't know. Me and my family just had the absolute best time. I finished my book over the weekend. I finished Daisy Jones and the Six, which I'll get into in a second. I watched all the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies, which are my some of my favorite movies, especially from my childhood. I've never talked about this on here, but I love superhero movies. I love Marvel movies. I always have. It was something that me and my dad just watched a lot when I was younger. Like he introduced me to like a lot of those movies and I've always loved them and I haven't watched those movies in forever. And I also just don't watch movies a lot anymore and I want to more like old movies because it's just so fun. I feel like I don't allow myself to watch a movie because I'm like, oh, it's so long. It takes up so much of my time, but I was able to get so much done this weekend and still watch all three of those movies and it was just, it gave me so much joy. But yeah, so I didn't read throughout last week, not this current week, but last week throughout the week at my at my apartment at all because it was like the week after Memorial Day weekend. So my schedule was kind of thrown off and I was just really busy and then I was going to the lake again. So I just didn't have a lot of time to read during the week. And so I was just planning on, you know, reading the whole week to finish my book I read Daisy Jones and the Six. I finished it on Saturday. I think I read like 230 pages on Saturday. I just like was reading all day. I gave that book 3.5 stars and I know a lot of people give it four or five stars, but I felt the book and I also by the same author thought this about The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. I feel like she gets a little bit repetitive in the story to the point where I start to lose interest a little bit but I'll say that it was an amazing book I gave it 3.5 stars and almost four stars if it didn't have such a repetitive part in like the first half of the book the second half of the book was amazing and that's why I finished it but that first half was just a little too repetitive for me Overall, a really, really good book. I love the way it was written as if it was an interview. So it was, you know, had like a dual timeline where they were telling stories from the past. It was really good. I really recommend it. It's a it's about a rock band in the 70s and 80s that, you know, come together, make this band and their experience to getting a lot of fame and then what happens after that. And there's also a show on Netflix about it that I do want to watch. I haven't started it yet. So this week I've been reading We Were Liars, which was recommended to me so long ago. And I'm over halfway into it. I'm probably going to finish it tonight. It's really good. I don't know which plot twist way it's going to take me. It's a thriller, but it's such a low-key thriller. I'm not done with it, so I don't know 
where it's taking me quite yet. But it's based in Massachusetts, which is really cool, specifically near Martha's Vineyard. So that's really cool. So it's the second week of June. So that will be my second read of the month. And you guys know I want to do a book a week. I'm even thinking possibly I might be able to read another book or at least majority of a book this weekend. I think that's going to be what I'm attempting to do is read a book throughout the week. And then if I need to finish it on like a Friday night or Saturday morning, and then also start another book during the weekend and get majority of that read. And then I might be able to read more than four or five books. Like maybe I could read like seven or eight, which is really weird for me to say because I'm a pretty slow reader, but I am getting better. See these people on TikTok and they're like, I read 25 books this month. And I'm like, how can you? And they're not like small books. They're like series. How people do that is beyond me. I know a lot of people say that they read at work and that's how they get it done, which I, I can't do that. But still, I, I just don't understand. I mean, I think it's amazing. I think I talked about this last week. But yeah, my goal is, you know, five to six books a month. And that includes audiobooks, which usually I get through like an audiobook a month just because it takes a while to get through audiobooks. And my commute to work isn't as long as it used to be. But when I take my drives to the lake, that takes up a good majority of like my audiobook time, which is good. So it works out. And then over the weekend, I was looking on Amazon at books and I realized almost all of the books I wanted were on sale, like major sale. Like the books were 50% off majority of the ones I was looking at so I did a big book haul because I've never seen the prices of books be that cheap and I also heard that the price of books is supposed to go up after June 21st I don't know if that's true I've only heard it from one source and yeah so I stocked up on a ton of books because I haven't bought books in a really long time I try my absolute best to get through the books that I have before I go and buy more because one, they take up space and I don't have the bookshelf I want for my apartment quite yet and I want to keep my books and I don't want them to just be thrown around in my apartment right now. So I try to get through what I have. Plus, I don't want to waste the money. I want to get through what I'm reading. But I did get 10 books, which is the most books I've ever gotten at once. But the the prices of the books were so good. I mean, I literally got one of the books for $6 and it's like a popular book. So... Yeah, I got 10 books. They're on my Amazon storefront in my most recent book haul. And I'm also going to post a video about it on TikTok. But they're all summer and romance books, which I'm really just excited. And I am reading really fast and a lot more. So I know I'll get through these pretty quickly. And then I wanted to update you guys on my running challenge. So, so far this week, I've ran five miles total. I ran four miles on Monday and I ran one mile on the treadmill yesterday. My initial thought for yesterday was I was going to run outside, but then it started downpouring, so I couldn't do that, and I hate running on the treadmill, and I was actually at my parents' house working out because my grandparents were over, like I told you guys, and I only got one mile in because my dad was like, um, dinner's ready, and yeah, but I, I don't know what it is. Something about running on the treadmill, I, one, it's boring. Two, I hate running at a speed that's set for you unless I'm doing sprints on the treadmills. I can do that all day. But running distance on the treadmill, it just, I don't know. I run it so, so slow. And I'm like, I don't understand. I can run so much faster outside. But I plan to do 
a lot of miles this weekend as well. And I went on the prettiest run on Monday night. I did it after work just so I had time to do the full four miles because I knew I wasn't going to have time to do it before work. And I ran near my apartment, right near my apartment, which I never usually do. Usually I drive the five minutes to the beach and then run along the beach. But it was the prettiest run. I found the prettiest areas and it was gorgeous. It was kind of cloudy that day. And then when I was about two and a half miles in the sun came out of nowhere and I was like this is glorious it was amazing it was so pretty and it kept me really intrigued throughout my run because I was running in a place I had never run before so I was like I can go for more miles it was great but those are my life updates for you guys let's get into today's episode which is what I've learned from healthcare. Now, if you guys want to know the whole experience of my healthcare work journey, I have a whole episode on that called My Nursing Journey, which talks a lot about why I got into nursing. So if you want to hear about that, then go back and listen to that episode. But this episode is going to be talking about all the experiences and things that I have just gained and learned through working in healthcare for the past five years. Scratch that. I meant six years. I've been working in healthcare for six years now. And to just go through some of the jobs that I've had in healthcare quickly, I was an activities director first, and then I became a CNA, and then I worked as a CNA, and now I'm a nurse. And all of my major jobs that I've had were in healthcare. I've never really had any other major jobs in anything else like I never you know waitressed or anything like that I just always I just had an opportunity in healthcare really early on because of a friend of my mom's friend like my mom's friend got me a job as an activities director or offered me the job and I applied and everything and that's how I was able to start so young and then I got my CNA license when I was 17 which is also very young so I was just I've these experiences have grown up with me and I think that's really special. So my first thing that I learned is don't take your body for granted. I work in the orthopedic surgery department now and I screen all the people that are going into surgery making sure they're safe safe enough to go in and out of surgery and come out good on the other side. So don't take the simplest things for granted. I'm not saying the heavy, hard workouts. I'm not saying anything crazy like that. Walking up the stairs, picking up and carrying your groceries, going on walks, being able to pick up a baby, being able to pick up your dog. I mean the simplest things that we take for granted every single day that people in so many different circumstances people in the ICU people that are you know just having old age or people that have really bad arthritis gout we take our body movement for granted because it's just something so simple to us you know we wake up we can stand up get out of bed and do our morning routine whereas for some people they can't stand up and get out of bed and do their morning routine they can't do the daily tasks of living on their own and not only is it frustrating because you can't you you lose so much of your independence when that happens so I want you to run through your morning routine and think of what you do you probably sit up you turn off your alarm you get up you go brush your teeth wash your face go to the bathroom now imagine if all of those things you couldn't do on your own and you had to wait on someone else to be able to help you with them or assist you with them and you know you 
you just can't go about your day the way that you typically would because you are unable to. I have people come in for surgery all the time that say, you know, I used to go on six mile walks every single day. I used to be able to play with my dog at the dog park every day. It's getting really hard for me to do my job. I can't do my job anymore. I'm in so much pain. I can't pick up my grandkids off the floor anymore. And it just makes me realize where I am how lucky and how grateful I am for the body that moves and fuels me every single day and you don't want to take it for granted. Next one, you can't expect people to work the way you do. Now this is not talking about patients, I'm talking about coworkers. So I used to have a really hard time with this because I worked in places that weren't that great before I got into the hospital that I'm at now. And I've always taken my job very, very seriously, no matter what I was doing. But especially when it comes to caring for other human beings, I hope everyone in that profession takes it very, very seriously. But some people don't take it as seriously as you will. And it's really hard to navigate that. We hope that everyone in this profession loves it and gives 110%, but sometimes it just, people are burnt out or, you know, you never know what's going on in someone else's life and you can't expect people to work the way you do. Some people also might stress out at a different level than you do. Maybe you stay super cool, calm, and collected and they stress out. They still get the same job done, but they stress out about things that you can't see yourself stressing out about. And you can't comprehend it, but they're not you. They're going to work in a different way than you than you do. And I think that's really important to realize when you're working with a team of healthcare providers that not everyone is going to work the exact same way. And just like everywhere, there's bad people. Unfortunately, there are bad nurses. There are bad CNAs. There are bad doctors. There's bad people in every single profession. And it's really sad when you do see it happen firsthand or you know it affects the patients and then it becomes you know legal issues this has been real things that have happened to me in the past and you just can never see yourself in that place you know putting a patient in harm's way or abusing a patient verbally or physically or whatever it is and you just can never comprehend how someone would do that to another person when you are supposed to be taking care of them and at the end of the day You just have to do your absolute best at your job and hope that everyone with you is on the same page and sometimes they're not going to be and learning to, I don't want to say learning to accept that. I am talking about if you feel like someone's lazier than you or doesn't work as hard as you, but they still get the job done at the end of the day, then you have to just let that go that you're working harder or have this feeling about it. Now, if it comes to abuse or something like that, that's totally different and separate. But I'm saying in your work ethic, if you feel that it's very different than other people's, keep your work ethic the way it is. Continue working that hard. Continue providing the way that you do in every way. Oh, and I also want to mention this, that I know this is all about healthcare, but I feel like what I've learned from healthcare can be useful in so many aspects of life. So if you feel like this episode is not for you because you don't work in healthcare, it's things that I genuinely use in my everyday life. So keep listening. Next one kind of goes along with the first one is if you don't use it, you'll lose it. 
So we say this a lot with patients all the time, especially to family members or caregivers. When you're taking care of someone that is either independent or losing their independence, but they're doing it very slowly, let them do as much as they physically can. Even if it's something like putting on socks. That seems like such an easy thing that we do every single day, but for someone that is losing their mobility, losing their, you know, function in their hands, that becomes a skill that becomes very necessary for people to do for themselves for as long as they can. And if you're in a rush or if the healthcare provider is in a rush and they're like, oh, just let me help you put your socks on, you are making them lose that skill. I was taught that when I was becoming a CNA and it's something that will stick with me forever. I would rather take so long helping a patient and have them continue to have their independency as long as they possibly can than rush and do it for them and have them lose that skill. And it seems like it's, oh my God, it's just putting on socks. It's a skill, especially in the elderly or someone that's, you know, losing that function you want to maintain it for them as long as they can. So for me, how I apply this to my life is, you know, using my body, using my brain, using everything I possibly can, cooking, having the ability to cook and keep doing that, writing, reading, um, you know, filling my mind with podcasts, swimming, walking, everything that we take for granted, once again, keep using the skill because someday you might lose it and you will wish that you never took those simple things for granted. All right, my next one is time management. I remember when I was training for my first CNA job and I worked with this CNA that was just so good. She had been at the place I had worked at for years and she just, she knew the patients so well. She had such a good routine with them. She could get, you know, eight, 10 patients on her assignment and they would be all done flawlessly ate, dressed, perfect, worked on mobility. It was amazing. She was so good. And I just remember looking at my assignment for the first time and being like, how am I ever going to do what she just did? How am I ever going to get all these people done? How am I going to get them done as efficiently as she did? I was just absolutely mind boggled. And over time, you learn time management and especially when you become a nurse or you're working in a more critical setting, you realize how to pick out who your high priority patients are versus who can wait and what are the most pressing tasks versus those that can be delegated to others. And the best nurses know how to do this or the best healthcare workers in general know how to make that mental list in your head of who needs to be seen right now, who needs to be my top priority. And then you can apply this to your life. What takes top priority in my life? Where am I going to put it so that it's the main focus? When you're in school, same thing. How do you take everything you need to get done mixed with going to class, you know, studying for exams, going to study groups, making sure you're social, making sure you're seeing your family? How do you manage that all into weeks and months? And nursing and Being a CNA has taught me how to do this throughout life, throughout my job, throughout school, to the point where now, or a year ago, if I was given 17 patients for the day because we were short-staffed, and I would have 17 patients on a med surge floor, I was able to get everyone done without really 
being overwhelmed or stressed just because I understood time management and I also understood how to delegate which is another thing I learned from nursing is you cannot do everything you can't hold everything on one person on one back and you have to learn when do I need to ask for help when can I ask for help and you know who can I delegate gate this out to so when you're the nurse you delegate out to the CNAs a lot not a ton you use your CNAs in a team they are not below you they are there to help you and be a team player and the best nurses always treated me like that and the nurses I worked with at the hospital always treated me like that you're part of the team and you're there to help and assist them you're not there to you know do anyone's job fully for them you're one team and you work together in the benefit of the patient and this was something when I was doing my nursing clinicals I had a really hard time with because one you're in nursing school you you're at the bottom of the totem pole you're going into a place that already has established staff you're coming in a lot younger than everyone else you've never worked here before or been in this place and you know these CNAs have been here for years so who are you to tell them when you need help or if you need to delegate something out to them and it was really hard to do this in clinicals and I'm not really talking about at the hospital. I'm talking about if you're at a rehab setting or a nursing home or a skilled nursing facility, anything like that, doing clinicals there. And, you know, the CNAs are helping you out a lot in those places because a lot of that is med passes and wound care. And these CNAs know these patients better than anyone. So you rely on them a lot. It's really hard to be the young nursing student in a place like that where they have worked for, you know, 20 years and now you have to delegate out tasks to them when you used to work in a job like that. It's a really weird transition. So learning how to delegate was extremely hard for me and going back to what I said earlier not everyone works like you so sometimes you have the thought process that I'd rather just do it myself because I'm the only one that will do it as good as I want it to be done and you just can't have that mentality because you have to trust the team that you're working with and if you don't have that trust you're just going to get overwhelmed stressed and you're going to feel like everything is on you when it's not that's what delegating is for so that was a huge thing I learned working with healthcare, but specifically in nursing school because I didn't know how to switch those roles and also not take on everything and learn when I could pass it off to someone where it was in their scope and it was safe to do so and feeling like I was allowed to do it. But you quickly realize you're never going to get your job done unless you work as a team with everyone within the team. My next one is learning how to stick up for yourself. So depending on where you work, depending on the environment, there are sometimes new nurse bullies or new CNA bullies where you're young, you're new, you're excited <laughs> about your job and people are hating on you for it because of whatever reason, if they've been there a very long time, if they feel underpaid, if they're burnt out, if whatever it is they have to train you today they're pissed about it they just want to do their own thing whatever it is sometimes this is just what you encounter and this can happen at any job it's not just in nursing but it's a huge thing in nursing uh, it's literally called nurses eating their young and 
now it's not as bad because people do not put up with it. So I think it's very important to learn how to stick up for yourself in a professional and respectful way that shows, yes, I'm here to do my work. I'm here to learn and I need to do I need to do my job. At the end of the day, you need to do your job and dealing with the petty bullying, adult bullying especially is just crazy to me how that still happens but just learning how to stick up for yourself especially because you're taking care of other humans it's not supposed to be about you or the other person and the bullying between the two it's a job you have a job to do and you need to find a way to get past that you know professionally and also stick up for yourself in the process so that you just don't get run over all the time luckily I work with amazing nurses and the nurses I worked with in my new grad job were just amazing. They still are. I never had those experiences, but I have had them in the past at clinicals as a CNA where you just, you, at some points you kind of feel helpless because you're like, what do I do? They've been here forever. I've been here for like two days and you learn over time how to stick up for yourself and realize it's just people that are doing that need to just focus on their jobs. So just make sure you stick up for yourself in a respectful and professional way. And also put your foot down if you're uncomfortable in a situation. So if something's out of your scope, for example, and you know for a fact it's out of your scope. And for those who don't know what I'm talking about, every healthcare profession has a scope of what they are allowed to do in that setting. So for example, a CNA can't pass out meds. Um, they can't I'm not going to get into the details of it too much, but let's just say they can't pass out meds. If a nurse, you know, handed you a med and said, hey, can you just give this to so-and-so? No, I can't. And if they say, can you please just do that? No, I can't. That's out of my scope. And learning how to be able to stick up for yourself and say that. I actually had a similar situation happen to me this past year with a doctor that I really respected and still do. But he wanted me to do something that would break HIPAA. And I don't even think it crossed his mind that it was going to break HIPAA. And I said, I'm sorry, I can't do that. This is the alternative way we can go about this. But I can't do it the way you asked me to because of HIPAA. And he kind of like playfully mocked me a little bit. He wasn't being mean about it. Or at least I don't think he was. It didn't seem like it. He just said, oh, you're such a cute new grad being like worrying about HIPAA. And I just kind of looked around like, anyone would be concerned about this situation I think I don't think this is a new grad thing so also when you're in those situations where it's like oh you're such a cute new grad no you're not because I asked other nurses if they would have done what he was asking me to do and they were like absolutely not that's against HIPAA and I was like that is what I said like why was I made to seem like this cute little new grad when I've been doing this for a long time. Yeah, I haven't been a nurse that long, but I've been in healthcare for forever. I know that's not right and I'm not going to do it. And being able to not stick up to a doctor because I wasn't rude. I wasn't like, I'm not doing that. How do you not know that's wrong? I was just like, I am not. Well, I did say I'm not doing that this way. And I gave an alternative way. I think it was orders or something. And he wanted me to do it in a way that wasn't protected by the hospital. Like it wasn't an encrypted way of sending the orders or something like that with the patient's information. And I was like, yeah, I'm not doing that. Here's the way we can go about it. That is encrypted by the hospital. That is safe and allowed by the policies put on by the hospital. And 
yeah so stick up for yourself stick up for your patients and stick up for what's safe and don't go out of your scope just because someone puts you in an uncomfortable place or says to just do it and especially if you're new and you're trying to impress people don't impress people to the point of losing your license or losing your job I next one I learned was communication skills but not only communication skills but confident communication skills you talk to a lot of people in healthcare you talk to your coworkers. you talk to management you talk to doctors nurse practitioners, physical therapists, dietitians, case management. I mean, the list goes on and on of people that you have to communicate with on a daily basis about a patient. It has to be clear, concise, to the point, what the problem is, especially, especially in a critical situation. You need to be able to run through exactly what is going on with that patient quick and to a group of people very, very fast and efficiently. And so over time, you get better and better at this. And I think having my CNA background helped a ton when I, you know, was in nursing school because I was so used to doing this. I wasn't scared to walk into a patient's room and say, hi, my name is Bianca. I'm going to be your nursing student for today. Can I take your vitals? Because I had already been doing that for years. And it's a huge transition that people have to make when they're in nursing school. So my recommendation is if you're in nursing school, get a tech job because it's going to help you tremendously. And especially at clinicals and clinicals are like the most important part of nursing school. In my opinion, I think the actual doing things is what's going to propel you in nursing. Um, Obviously, you have to learn everything else that comes with it. I'm not saying that studying and the tests and everything isn't important, but I think the most important experience or the way I learn best is hands on and in clinical experiences that I can take something away from it. That's always how I've been. So I always thrived at clinical. I actually got an award for clinical excellence in nursing school. And I really think it was because I was a CNA before and I just had made these really good communication skills beforehand that only got better in nursing school. Like, for example, when you give your first report on your first patient, it can be so nerve wracking because you don't want to take up too much of that nurse's time. You don't want to give too much information. You don't want to give not enough. You don't want to forget something. You don't want to mess up. You don't want to seem like you don't know what you're talking about. So you get really anxious, but you get better and better at giving report every single time. And it's a learned skill. And not only do you communicate with the healthcare team and with the patient, you also communicate with the family, which was one of the biggest things I learned about when I was working in hospice was communication with the family. Obviously, hospice is very hard, not only on the patient, but on the family and being able to communicate with a family going through something that difficult is so important. It's vital to the job in hospice. If you don't have good communication skills, I really don't think you could work in hospice. I really don't think you could work in healthcare in general, but especially in hospice, these patients, these families are scared. They trust you. They're listening to you. And if you sound timid or unsure or just you just don't sound like you know what you're talking about they have this fear they know what's happening but they need to hear it from you in a way that portrays everything's going to be okay if you're calm and you're precise and you know what you're talking about in a way that communicates to them okay my family member is as safe as they can be 
and a lot of things happen in hospice that you have to explain for the family. It's a lot of teaching and going over, okay, this is going to happen next. Okay, this is the experience you're going to happen next. Okay, this is what your mom is going to sound like for the next day. It sounds awful, but she's doing okay. We're monitoring her breathing. We're giving her this medication so that she's more comfortable. She's going to sleep. She's no longer going to eat anymore because of X, Y, and Z. You're explaining, I mean, some of the worst case scenarios to these people And you have to do it in a way that makes them feel comforted. So hospice taught me so much about communicating efficiently with the family so that they feel safe in your care and that you are taking care of their family member the best that you possibly can. Next one is confidence in your knowledge as well as trusting your gut. When you're in healthcare, you'll hear some nurses say sometimes, I don't know what's going on with this patient especially if you're in like a morning meeting and they say like anyone have any concerns they'll say I don't know what's going on with this patient quite yet but I have this gut feeling something is about to go wrong that sounds so daunting but the longer you're in healthcare, the more you just pick up on things really really quickly especially if you're on the same assignment for a couple days so you're with the same patient for a few days and the second you notice the smallest change in them you have this gut feeling that something is going wrong or going to go wrong and I don't think you have this until about three or four years into healthcare, maybe two but I'll say like two to four years. You definitely don't have this within the first year or two of working in healthcare. But as time goes on more and more, you just start having these gut feelings about patients and situations. And I would say 80% of the time, whoever it is, CNA, nurse, doctor, they're usually right. As I've gotten older and the longer I've been in healthcare, I've had these situations happen a few times. And luckily majority of the time they've been at the hospital when I just have a gut feeling that something is off or wrong with the patient or the situation or the family members or something and I worked with or I work with some of the best nurses I don't work on that med surge floor anymore I work in the same hospital but I worked with some of the best nurses that just genuinely trusted me and just had me as such a part of their team where if I brought up a concern about a patient They took it just as seriously as if a nurse or a doctor told them about the same concern. So if I genuinely had a concern about the patient I brought to the charge nurse or the nurse that was in charge of that patient, they would take it so seriously, which is just really good to know because you just don't feel like you're being pushed aside or that your opinions or gut feelings aren't as valid as someone else. I'll tell you guys a quick story about a patient I had where I trusted my gut instinct and I was 100% right. So we had a situation with a patient where he came in and I'm not going to get into the full story of what was happening but basically I was on a one-to-one with him meaning I was sitting in his room with him because he was a danger to himself. He was trying to get out of bed, rip out his IVs, take off his oxygen, the whole nine. So we finally got him somewhat calmed down but the way his vitals were also that I had taken that morning showed me that he shouldn't have been on a regular med surge floor. He should either be in the ICU or on a tele unit monitoring his heart rate and his oxygen levels which me and the nurse already knew but 
that summer it was you know covid was still around the beds were full we were super short staffed we didn't have enough rooms all the beds were full so we just had to kind of wait until there was a bed available on a better unit for this patient so anyways I was on a one-to-one with him, which means I'm sitting in the room documenting every 15 minutes what this patient is doing. You're not doing anything besides just watching and making sure this patient is safe. So my eyes are on him for a while, and I notice that when he starts to finally fall asleep, he'll sleep for a while, and then his breathing would get very abnormal. And basically, he'd be breathing normal, breathing normal, and then his chest would stop rising, And then he would take a big inhale. So he would breathe, 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 stop, and then go, (gasps) and then continue to breathe. And he was doing this for a while. And I knew what was going on. This is called apnea. And I was concerned because I knew his vitals aren't, were already not good. So, and my nurse was already concerned about this patient. And I was like, uh, this, something's off. I know it is. And I know what's going on. And I know this is not safe. And I know for a fact he's experiencing apnea. So I called my nurse in and she said, I trust you 100%. If that's what you say is going on, that's what's going on. She said, call the charge nurse, get her opinion on it. So I called the charge nurse who also trusted me a lot and said, call a rapid response, which means you're bringing that doctor of the patient up to the floor and also respiratory and a couple other people. It's not a code. It's just you need to get everyone's attention that needs to be present to get eyes on this patient. So called a rapid and my director came in and said not to the nurse but to me Bianca I heard you're the one that called the rapid what's going on explain what's happening to me and I told her and once again she took what I said so seriously and it was just really nice because you know I was in nursing school I was a CNA and they could have taken it as how does she know what she's talking about she's not a nurse but instead they took me seriously and the patient later got transferred to the ICU. The next day I came in, he was in the ICU, and I was his one-to-one again. And now I'm not as concerned because in the ICU, your vitals are tracked all day consistently. Your vitals are constantly being run. You're hooked up to everything so that your vitals are constantly going off. The nurses can see them 24-7. All eyes are on the vitals and the patient. And I'm also his one-to-one. That same day, the doctor comes in and watches the patient breathe the exact same way I had done the day before. And she said, that patient is experiencing apnea. He needs to be intubated right now. And the shock that was probably on my face, I think it probably stayed there for a day. I was like, I literally said that yesterday. Obviously, I didn't say that out loud because that would have been really inappropriate and I wasn't happy that the patient had to be intubated obviously I wanted him to be safe healthy and getting better and I was upset that he was getting worse but I trusted my gut I told people about what my concerns were they were taken seriously and then they were reconfirmed to the following day that I was 100% right and that his breathing was totally off and his breathing was to the point where he could no longer breathe for himself until this was fixed And it was just really reassuring to know that I didn't, I had the confidence in my knowledge to know enough 
that I told someone and they told someone that told someone else and then that patient benefited from it in the long run by being put on a unit that he needed to be on and to also have something help with his breathing and know that I was part of what I'm going to call the butterfly effect of getting that patient to a safer state. Having that confidence and having the knowledge and having the confidence in your knowledge to know when to speak up and when to say something and trusting your gut and knowing that something is wrong and talking about it with others that you know also respect you and trust you and then seeing that play out was just something that always will stick with me and always will keep me to say something even if it's something minor even if I'm not 100% sure just letting someone else know bringing them into the loop of what you see going on and even if it's nothing, what if it was something and you didn't say anything? So having that confidence and the confidence in your knowledge is something I've learned and will always, if I see it, I'm going to say something about it. My next one is accepting criticism and feedback. You can always learn something new. Now, I used to have a really hard time when I was younger accepting criticism and feedback because I thought it was negative. I thought I was doing something wrong and I was almost being reprimanded for it. But as I've grown and as I've grown in healthcare, I've learned that criticism is given to you when someone wants you to be better and it's not about you, especially in healthcare. It's about benefiting the patient and future patients in the long run. So learning how to learn constantly, accept criticism in a professional manner, and then apply it and just be able to take feedback is really important. At the end of the day, it's going to make you a better nurse, a better professional. And like I said, this can be applied to every job. Just learning how to take criticism really well and not taking it to heart and thinking it's personal it's not personal it's to make you better in whatever you're doing next is leadership I learned a ton about leadership especially being a CNA for so many years um, and being you know one of the more seasoned or senior CNAs on most places I worked meant that I was in charge of training a lot of people and I always took it so seriously because one, I never wanted to be someone that intimidated someone else or was, you know, like the nurse or CNA bully ever, ever. And training someone new or new to the facility is just gives you this big sense of leadership that, you know, management is trusting you enough to take on a new employee and show them how things are supposed to be done correctly. And also being someone that they can always reach out to when they need help and being a safe person for them instead of someone that intimidates or scares them. My next one is learning empathy and compassion and this one is huge. A lot of the people that I've taken care of in healthcare, I've never went through something like they have went through it. So you're dealing with someone that's having such a different experience than you've ever had and you can't relate to it because you you're not in that position so learning empathy and listening just listening and you know you can't say I've been there too it gets better because you've never been there so learning how to empathize with that patient and truly listen to them and be there for them as much as you can with compassion and genuinely hearing what they have to say always 
is so important to learn and has taught me a lot about selflessness. Next one is accepting others' beliefs. So in healthcare, you're working with a lot of different cultures. It's actually a huge part of what you learn about in nursing school is other cultures because, for example, I'm going to use a Jehovah's Witness. Jehovah's Witness do not take any blood saving products or any blood products in general. So say a Jehovah's Witness got in a really bad car accident, they come in, our first thought is to do a blood transfusion, but then you open up their jacket pocket and it says Jehovah's Witness, no no blood products. And in that moment, you might get frustrated if that's not your belief system. Like you're bleeding out from being in this car accident. How can I not give you blood products? How do I not save your life? Or then you get the family and they might say, you know what, this is Jehovah's plan. And if this is how it's meant to be, this is how it's meant to be. And maybe to you, who is a nurse, who's so used to just saving people, you can't wrap your brain around this because you're like, I have the tools to save this person and I can't do it. But it's not about you. It's about that person's beliefs and their religion And you can't overstep that. And this can be really hard to learn in these circumstances because you just want to fix them, but it's against their beliefs. And even though you might not understand it with your values and your personal beliefs, you have to accept it because it's theirs. It's the patient's. And it's always about the patient at the end of the day. It's about them. It's not about you. So learning to accept others' beliefs, culture, ways of life and even if it's hard just getting past that and knowing it's not about you and learning to accept that one thing that's really hard for me is if you have a frail 95 year old woman and you know she is very clearly dying and she is still a full code meaning you do everything in your power to save that patient because that's what she she or the family member or healthcare proxy has signed off on do any life-saving take any life-saving measures to continue to keep this person alive and for me I think where is the quality of life in that but it's not my choice to make so even if you don't agree with it even if it hurts you to do CPR on this patient, break their ribs typically, and, you know, do these extensive life-saving measures on someone that's 95, even if you don't agree with it, once again, it's not about you and this can be really hard to accept, but at the end of the day, it's about the patient, it's about the family, it's about what they had agreed on probably years ago, and it's not about you. Now, in saying that, I have my own personal beliefs on death and dying in hospice care and palliative care, which I will do a whole other episode on a different day. And that will be solely based on my personal beliefs and opinions because I have so much to talk about on that topic. But once again, I don't apply that to my practice in the way I am as a nurse because that's personal. That's just personal what I believe in. But you can't bring your own personal beliefs to someone else's life and to the care of other patients. And going along with this is just accepting where someone else is at. And this can be the flip side of what I just talked about. You can have a younger patient that's, 
you know, more on the healthy side, but maybe they've just given up. Maybe they've been in cancer treatment for a really long time. Maybe they have diabetes. Maybe they have just become really depressed with whatever comorbidities they have and they just don't want to fight the fight anymore. They don't want to take their meds anymore. And you're like, I don't, I don't understand. Like, why not? And I remember having an experience like this in my nursing clinical where I had a patient that was pretty resistive to care and I couldn't understand why. And I was trying to come up with, you know, the best way to go about her care and to, you know, make her better because she was a diabetic patient. Her blood sugars were through the roof. I had to give her an absurd amount of insulin. And I was just like, what else can we do? Why won't she take these meds? She was really hard to get to take her meds. She hated taking her meds. And I'm the type of person that I'm not going to force you to do. Obviously, I'm not going to force you to do anything, but I'm going to try my absolute best to educate you as well as possible as to why these are going to benefit you, which is part of your nursing scope. You're supposed to do that. But at some point, and this is something my clinical instructor had to talk with me about, not in a disciplinary way, but just because I was having a really hard time with it because I had had this patient for a couple days and I was like, I am having a really hard time getting through to her. Like, I can barely do her care. She'll barely let me give her her meds. I I don't know what to, I can't get her to do her physical therapy. I can't get her to do this. And I was like, I don't know what to do. Like, I'm just trying to do my job. And my clinical director was like, it's not about you. You're not doing anything wrong. You're not a bad nurse. It's just this patient doesn't want to fight the fight anymore. And this might only last a week. They they might just be in a depressive episode. And next week, they might be completely different for someone else. And you just have to accept where they're at and go with it. And I was like, okay, you're totally right. That's something I learned in hospice, but it's different because this was a rehab floor that I was working on. So I was like, the whole point is to rehab, get better and go home. Like, don't you want to go home? Like, so for me, that was hard. And then I went back to, you know, what I did in hospice care, which is exactly what I'm saying, meeting a patient exactly where they're at. And then I took that, applied it to this patient and calmed down a little bit and realized you can't save someone or help someone that doesn't want to be saved or helped. And sometimes you just have to accept that as much as it hurts your healthcare and your healthcare heart where you can't save someone any more than they want to be saved and you just have to move on and do as much as you can and whatever you can't you can't force them and learning to accept that can be really hard sometimes and my last one and possibly the most important one that I am still learning to apply is don't take it too seriously don't let things get under your skin and don't take it to heart and I'm talking about with patients with family members specifically um I think since COVID and I know a lot of people can agree patients and family members can not all of them obviously are more ruthless than ever I don't know if it's because we didn't talk to people in social settings for a long time if you know there are a lot of restrictions still on the hospitals of visiting and policies and hours and masks and it's just brings a lot of frustration into these healthcare facilities and I feel like it amplifies situations by a thousand percent more than what they were before 
I feel like family members flip a switch a lot easier. Patients flip a switch a lot easier. It's it's really, really brutal. And it's a lot of why nurses are getting burnt out and leaving the bedside is because of situations like this. And I've had a lot of experiences in a lot of different jobs with patients, uh, abuse, verbal abuse, physical abuse. And in the past, I worked a lot with memory care. And with memory care, that's expected. But when you're on an adult med surge unit, sometimes you're working with people with dementia. Sometimes you're working with people that are perfectly fine and are just mean and ruthless. And you always have to keep in mind that they're in pain, which doesn't ever give someone an excuse to be, you know, awful to you or hit you or any of those things, any number of those or be super unkind, but it's going to happen in your career, in a lot of careers, where people are going to be mean to you, say things that you'll never forget. And a big thing that one of the nurse practitioners I work with now has just, I remember I got super frustrated about something one day. I can't even remember what it was anymore. And she just said, don't let it get to you, move on. And it was so quick and blunt. And she wasn't being mean about it at all. She was like, don't let it don't let it hang over you all day. Just move on from it. It's over. It's done. Don't let it get under your skin. Just shake it off. And I was like, I remember that day I was just having a hard day and I was like, I can't. But she was like, just move on from it. It's not that serious. And I was like, you're so right. So don't take it too seriously. People can be really cruel and really mean, but let it bounce off of you. And then if you need to journal it out when you go home, do so. Because I think the narrative and I don't want to be giving off this narrative is that you should just like accept it and move on that's not what I'm saying I'm saying in that moment shake it off move on to the next thing and if you if you get home and it's still bothering you yeah talk it out or write about it do whatever you have to do to heal talk about it at therapy whatever you got to do but in that moment like let it brush off of you and move on once again you never know what these people are going through especially if they're verbally abusive towards you you cannot take it to heart. You can't think you're a bad nurse, a bad healthcare giver, whatever the situation is. You just have to move on from it. And sometimes it can be so hard because you're like, I'm doing everything in my physical power to be a good person, a, to be a good provider for this person. And they don't like me or they hate me or they're yelling at me. And you just got to move on. You just got to shake it off. <laughs> you can't, you can't let it get personal. And it can be really hard sometimes because sometimes they make it super personal when they're being verbally abusive towards you, which is just the example I'm using. So yeah, that's something I'm still working on is not taking it too seriously, even though sometimes it feels so serious. It's just you got to just shake it off, move on. Don't let it get under your skin. So those are all the things that I could come up with that I've learned from working in healthcare. I'm sure I could come up with another list of things that I've learned, but those are things that I've learned in healthcare and applied to a lot of other areas in my life. Working in healthcare has given me so many experiences, lessons that I just am so grateful for. I absolutely love my job. I'm so passionate about it and I hope I always stay this way and yeah, so that is today's episode for you guys. I hope you guys have an amazing Friday, a very safe weekend. And I think for the summer, I'll probably do Friday episodes just because it works with my summer Fridays. So 
I hope you guys have a great weekend and I will talk to you next week. Bye guys.